And welcome to the game of the year, the one we've all been waiting for. There's a capacity crowd here, the conditions are absolutely perfect, with an atmosphere that's really electric. Now the band's just leaving the pitch, and we're waiting for... Yes, I, I think I can see them. Yes, it's achieved. Here they come. Just listen to that roar. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. Welcome to another thrilling episode of Four at the Back. I'm Ken Tomash in Phoenix, Arizona, and my partner is Dan Loney in Los Angeles, California. The topic, of course, soccer with a West Coast bias. That's not entirely true. We look at four topics in the world of American soccer each week on the show, either coast or in the middle. They might be the four biggest stories or just four stories we find interesting that aren't being covered to death somewhere else. We hope you like it. We we thank all of you who have been listening and who have taken the time to send us your feedback. We really do appreciate it. We uh, would like you to tell a friend. That would be great. This week, we'll talk about the U.S. men's national team, their game against Honduras, and the upcoming Confederations Cup. Rob Penner of Women's Professional Soccer stops by to talk about the first half season of WPS. The U.S. Open Cup kicked off this week. We'll talk with Josh Hakala of USOpenCup.com about that. And we will ask, who's on your Mount Rushmore of American soccer? That's all ahead on this episode of For the Back. Topic 1. A week ago, we were talking about the U.S. national team's collapse in Costa Rica and saying that a result against Honduras was in order. They got one down, a 2-1 win that they had to come from behind to get. I thought it was a better performance, not a perfect performance, but a better performance. And qualifying is pass-fail. Halfway through the hex, they've got 10 points with two home games left, and I think a lot of fans maybe should put down the sharp objects. What say you? Pass-fail. I mean, yeah, F-plus. Uh, I realized they were outnumbered as far as fans in Chicago. And I realize it was uh, a three-day turnaround and Honduras had more time to prepare. I expected or hoped for something a little bit better at home with what ended up being a must-win game. I did the math. We're not in trouble, but we're not reassuring by any means. It's The results since the Mexico game have been so questionable that it's really just brought me down, man. It's just harshed my mellow. You know what I mean? Bob Bradley had to make some changes, and he did. I thought Jonathan Bornstein played pretty well. Jonathan Spector I, yes. played pretty well. Clint Dempsey seemed a little bit better to me. than And Carlos Bocanegra, who I was not sure about after uh, the Costa Rica game, got the goal to get them the three points. So who were the heroes for you? You had mentioned uh, Clint Dempsey. I, don't, I couldn't tell you why I don't like Clint Dempsey. I know intellectually he's got to be the guy you have out there. He's got to be the guy who leads our offense. And every national team game, he disappoints me. This is how I think people feel about, by now, Landon Donovan. His last, what, 18 goals for the U.S. have been off the penalty kick spot? Seems like it. Yeah, it's... Who was I impressed it's one of these things where I, I'm not really uh, Tim Howard, I guess. I, people look good in absentia. People now love Brian Ching again because he didn't play. People now love Terundolo. Can't wait for him to get back. People want McBride and Haydick back, despite the fact that they were born before World War II. It's, it, it's just one of these things that's... The, just troubling to me, and I realize that the Confederations Cup, if they get good results there, then this all goes away. I wanted to see more out of Altidore. Yeah, I know he didn't play for any club, as far as I can tell. I wanted him to do better. I know that's not realistic. I know that's not fair. I wanted him to bring his best game. We don't need another Eddie Johnson. We don't need another 
Oh, it's not a short list of that kind of people. Um, I wanted to see a little bit more out of <laughs> fill in the blank. It's it's so frustrating. I, I, but yes, you're right. A Spectre and Born scene did play well. I just, uh, yeah, I even see I, intellectually. I even see why we're doing the two defensive mid field empty bucket because it takes away the other team's playmaker and that's the way a lot of teams play and it just grinds out results which is fine if you get the results but when it doesn't work we're helpless Ah. all right you mentioned the confederations cup starts monday for the u.s against italy they get brazil on thursday and then egypt on the sunday and the other half of the draw is spain and larry moe and curly let's be honest it's set up for south africa to get into the semis Short of just getting totally blown out of the water by Italy and or Brazil, is there much to lose and is there anything to be gained by the U.S. in the Confederations Cup, do you think? There's a lot to gain. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these people who thinks the Confederations Cup is actually potentially more important than these past couple of qualifiers, simply because of the confidence, simply because of the potential respect that this club can get both how they believe in themselves, how the fans think, and how this is less important for results, but how the world press, how ESPN will promote the team. If they can show pictures of the U.S. beating Italy or beating Brazil, that's going to generate a lot of excitement. Now, the flaw in this master plan is when you try out a team that is absolutely incapable of that. Uh, it's, the upsides are so big, and I'm so hopeful to be proven wrong about this because remember optimists are always disappointed pessimists are always pleasantly surprised but I, I just want oh, I want I want my Landon Donovan to, to really prove that Bayern Munich was wrong about him I want Altidore to prove that uh, Villarreal gave, is giving up on him too so I want oh, I want I want Augustion Yewu to prove himself to a premiership team. All, where, where are the chips on these guys' shoulders? This is their chance. What do you th- uh, now I'm just going to start ranting. What you think of all the players in history who never got the chance to play against the World Cup holders and, and Brazil and the best players in the world, and the whole world will be watching, and they're going to go to South Africa and just, kind of kick it around and hope not to lose. This is such a great opportunity, and I don't think they see it. Ah! Sorry. Topic two. Women's professional soccer will reach the halfway point of its maiden season this weekend. Six years after the demise of the WUSA, WPS is learning from those mistakes, and they're a girl on a budget. Attendance so far is running about 5,400 folks per game, but they're not burning through money like WUSA did. It's a little early to call it, Dan, but how do you feel about WPS's chances? See, I'm emotionally invested now that I go to games and I see it, but I've been sort of a believer in women's club soccer for a while. I think there is a hard, hard core of people who really believe in this. Now, it numbers in the thousands right now. That's the way a lot of movements start. I, I certainly think it'll make it to year two. I don't, I think this league is a lot more realistic about what happens after the novelty factor wears off, how you actually build a team in the long term. I'm a lot more impressed with the people running this league. So I'm more than cautiously optimistic. I'm downright hopeful.
I mean, they're gonna they're gonna bury the National Lacrosse League, that's for sure. Well, on the field, Los Angeles is the class of the league, seven one and three through eleven games. They're twelve points clear of second place Washington, who does have two games in hand, but only four points separate second through seventh place. So it's a very evenly bunched league after LA. Rob Penner is director of communications for WPS and says that halfway through the season, yeah, they're meeting their expectations as well. Sure, we think so. There's. A lot of different metrics, obviously, that, that you want to sort of check off in terms of um, expectations. But I think, first and foremost, uh, the quality of the play and, and, and what we've seen on the field as a product has been um, fantastic. It's, it's, we've, it's been only two months, really, into the season, and, and teams did not have a lot of time in preseason to get together. But we've already seen teams gel pretty quickly. Uh, we've seen close games. Uh, we've had some games um, with scoring and stoppage time that have decided the games, and we've seen... Um, some 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 great goals. So in terms of quality of play, uh, we're 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 very pleased. Uh, Attendance-wise, um, we are right in in the area where we estimated we'd be. Um, of course, you'd always want attendance to be higher, um, but we're coming in right about 5,100, 5,200. Um, and the commissioner uh, has always said sort of four to six thousand has been uh, the wheelhouse that we were looking for. And I think operationally, everything has 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 run smoothly and well so far. Um, in the first year of a league, can never be underestimated the, the amount of operations that, that go into starting up a league, and we've been very pleased with what we've seen on, on that front. Well, now, uh, give us an idea of what sort of uh, things you're doing right that, to pick an example entirely at random, WSA haven't done. You would mentioned operating costs. What, what sort of things have you been doing? Sure. I, I mean, everything, every decision that, that we make at, at the team and, and league level uh, comes with with cost containment in mind. Um, you know, certainly, especially in this envi- um, you know economic environment, um, we have a lean front office. Um, you know, we've the, the model that uh, uh, the commissioner has set up with with the seven franchises um, has lower stadium costs um, and and really takes into consideration um, keeping having small stadiums. Um, and having a structure that that really focuses on on managing expectations and 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 cost containment. Um, certainly, marketing spends are are lower um, than 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 they probably were in the first go round. Um, and we also have a, a player salary structure, which is a um, seven month playing contract um, that runs from uh, roughly March through August. Um, that that's a little bit leaner than 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 the previous go round as well. And and I think any just costs in general um, have to have to be managed. Um, and and and, and it's really it's a grassroots league. Um, you know, we, we were a franchise model in that the, the the local teams are owned by local investors um, who who know their markets, who are connected with the communities, and have this sort of entrepreneurial spirit within their within their communities for for uh, fan development and, and sponsorship development. Um, you know, as opposed to the first um, go around WSA, where where it was a, a more centralized model um, owned by by a bigger sort of conglomerates. Well, you have had to make some adjustments on the fly. Obviously, St. Louis has moved to a new venue, and you had yep. FC Gold Pride slashing their prices a bit. Uh, talk about being flexible and, and being able to, to go off book if need be in the face of, you know, you're really still learning how to do this right since it's been a while since anybody's given this a shot. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think um, with, when, you're, when you're in the franchise model, certainly the teams have, have that ability to make adjustments on the fly um, and, and, and make some decisions that, that work for their market. Um, and and that's certainly um, you know with with some some of the ticket pricing readjustments done in, in the Bay Area actually the, the game right after that actually was was a sellout um, with Marta com, coming up and and they they did a great job filling that venue. Um, St. Louis has found a venue now that is completely uh, their venue and it's the the exact type of model venue that that we like to see in WPS a a, a small at a soccer complex great atmosphere 
Um, and, and, you know, we've, at the league level, have, have made adjustments as well. Um, we, we made an adjustment, you know, from, from maybe plans way back when of how we wanted to run our playoffs. Um, we're now running our playoffs. Um, we, we made that decision in, in January to, um, rather than have, you know, a, a, a two semifinals with four teams making it, we have sort of a staggered playoff system where the champion of the regular season goes right into the finals. So when you're a new league, you're, you're able to do that, but especially in this model with, with the franchises, um, having a little more say in how things are run and, and, and having a big part of also how, how league makes decisions. There's sort of the stereotype of the target audience for women's soccer is the ponytailed hooligan. Who Who is your target audience? <laughs> is it all eight-year-old girls? Is it a wider audience? Who are you targeting? Who, who we hope to, to bring into the WPS fold um, is is the, the, the young girl uh, player who plays in youth leagues. Um, uh, let, me, let me start there. And from there, draw in and, and have a product out there that is also of interest to, to the families, um, an atmosphere that, that they enjoy, and as well as soccer fans. Um, and we've seen, I, I think, some, some good interest from, from soccer fans. Um, we still need to go out there and, and reach sports fans um, with our product. Our product's been great. Um, and, and need to see that the quality of plays that we have out there is, is compelling, um, you know, even for, for, for non-soccer fans that, that want to see um, how this action unfolds on the field. But, no, yeah, you raise a good question. I think how, how do you uh, – we have not done um, yet gotten the results. We've, a lot of teams have gone out there and done uh, some polling at games. Um, I know Boston has gone out, the Breakers and, and, and Bay Area and, and, and Chicago as well. Um, but these are actually going on over the course of the season, and we're going to take a hard look at these at the end of the season. So we've not actually uh, accumulated all that um, early part of the season. Um, but mostly, you know, obviously the core demographic still is the young soccer-playing girl, um, provided that we also have a, have a great product for families and then other soccer fans. One of the things I've been impressed with uh, as an older person is how well you've used social media such as Twitter. It's been sort of, uh, at least from my point of view, groundbreaking. Uh, <laughs> was, that, was that something that was planned in the very early stages of starting this league? Is it something that you've adjusted to on the fly? Has it, has it been a success story? Has it led directly to fans coming to get games? Yeah, you know, I don't, that, that last uh, correlation is a, is a tough one to make. We haven't you know, done that research, but I can certainly tell you the numbers ha- have been great uh, for us. Um, it certainly starts from the top down, the commissioner, uh, Antonucci uh, came from a new media background, so she certainly brought a, a lot of that know-how and um, and impetus into the league when when we when we started some of our social networking platforms. Um, one of our goals at the beginning of the season in March was to have over 10,000 fans on Facebook, and, and we're now over 13,000 13, fans who uh, regularly follow the league on on our Facebook page. Um, Twitter, uh, we decided in March we had a discussion with all the teams and coaches decided that they would allow, uh, have, a, have a very liberal policy of, of tweeting, as it's called, on the sideline. And In fact, we, we officially endorsed it for our inaugural match and, and have allowed it since then on a, a conditional basis um, and, and continually reviewed it um, with teams. So if you go on to uh, various um, team pages or, or the league site, it has a great uh, page of all the players, uh, officials, and GMs, coaches that tweet. Uh, we have over 40 to 50 that tweet. Um, you know, this has been a, certainly something that's come up in the sports world with other leagues. Um, it's sort of been as the team leagues have kind of either disallowed it or, or have allowed it on a team-by-team basis, whereas we've come out as a league and said, hey, let's go out there, let's do it, let's get fans to, to hear right from players about their thoughts about the game. And, and so that's been a, a really a good one as well. And, 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 and just interacting with fans, we, we relaunched our website, womensprosoccer.com, 
um, and we're going to have even more interactive um, potential on there with player ratings and, and comments and, and, and other other ways to interact. But we're really happy with what we've seen from, from Twitter and, and the number of, of fans following us. Um, on that, our, our Women's Pro Soccer Twitter page, and, and the commissioner even tweets from time to time, and then she has a little bit of a following as well. So it's certainly the most important thing when you have low budgets is it's an efficient and, and effective way to reach your audience. Um, and and so certainly we're a grassroots audience, and we hope we can grow by, by having this as a platform. Uh, your league just announced Philadelphia is going to join. They're still an ATL 2010 on the website. Is there a temptation to try and add a 10th team to – uh, make the ease of scheduling. Uh, have we heard anything about <laughs> Dallas, or are are you happy rolling in next year with the nine teams? Dan, I heard you were ready to invest. Is that is that what I've heard? You, you're you're ready to invest in getting the ninth team. I got back from the AT, ATM for the ATL, and <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, I, absolutely, I, I think the league would welcome and, and love to see a tenth team. Um, but I think that the commissioner and, and the expansion committee also knows that the 10th team would have to, it needs to be done properly, um, and it needs to be done in, in the right city. Um, so there wouldn't be a rush just to get a 10th team for the sake of rounding out the schedule as much as, as we'd all love, and, and, and I'm, uh, scheduling is, is, is one thing I, I work closely with. Um, we'd love to have 10 teams. I think the most important thing is, um, is finalizing uh, Atlanta, which is, is looking um, very, very close for in, in the coming weeks, um, and then you know, we still have a few weeks and, and maybe even till the end of the season window to uh, to possibly get in a tenth team. And, and there are some some cities out there uh, under you know that there have been you know discussions of Denver, Dallas, San Diego, uh, Vancouver. Um, so there's a few cities out there that that have had close talks with, um, and we certainly love a tenth. But it needs to be done right with the right uh, investment group and 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 a stadium plan in place and 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 whatnot. Okay, we're halfway through the show, and I'm not quite sure what to do. Harksy, any ideas? Well, I think it's all about how, what do we have to do when we leave this field? We got to come back out here. Good idea. We'll come back out here after this. This is for the back. For the crown, ten out of twelve boating deaths happen because people don't wear life jackets. Why do you think this is? I believe some people out there in our nation don't have life jackets, and uh, our education should help the U.S. or the Iraq so that we will be able to build up our future. Think this answer's bad? Try explaining it yourself. When a life jacket can be the difference between life and death, it's hard to explain why anyone wouldn't wear one. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You know, we do this for laughs and for absolutely no money. And all we Wait, ask... what? Yes. Wait, that, whoa, 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 you what? Read, read the fine print, Dan. All we ask whoa. of you is that if you like the show, tell a friend about it. Go to iTunes and subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review or rate us. Send us feedback. We like to know that you're listening, that you like the show or that you don't like the show. Tell us what you like or tell us what you don't like as long as it's Dan. Yeah, because I'm thick-skinned. I'm the, I'm the one who can take criticism out of the two of us. <laughs> Topic three. The U.S. Open Cup's underway. 14 of the 16 first-round matches were played Tuesday of this week. The other two had unplayable fields, and they were delayed a day. You can check out all the scores and recaps at usopencup.com. And here's where we'll bring in one of the brains of that outfit, our friend Josh Hakala, who says that the appeal for him is that age-old story. I think that the David and Goliath thing, I think being a fan of college basketball, the March Madness thing, I think that uh, that whole aspect of it is the biggest selling point. Whenever I tell people about it, 
maybe even non-soccer fans, which I've had to do a lot lately when I explain all this time I have to spend on this website to people who uh, I work with and uh, family members and whatnot. I, I just explain to them in baseball terms, you know, if it's like the Toledo Mud Hens getting a chance to play the New York Yankees in a tournament. And and usually people really like that. They, they, they get a big kick out of it and they're, you know, even if they're not soccer fans, they're like, wow, it would be nice if uh, baseball did something like that or, you know, any other sport. But, uh, it's uh, it's definitely unique to American sports, and uh, although if you're a soccer person, this is you know old news with the FA Cup and everything, but it's uh, it's a great tournament for that. It's actually more historic than the Final Four, for example. Uh, it's one of this great lost archaeological levels of history that proves that man walked with dinosaurs effectively, but. <laughs> Uh, why is that being sold? Why is that difficult to sell? I I don't know. And in fact, uh, what we do, we started doing on the on the site recently was to do these little this day in history things. And and we get people who email us all the time saying things like, I had no idea there was a team in Patterson, New Jersey, that you know made the 1919 Open Cup final. You know, and then like we just throw out things like that and. Uh, and people really get interested in it, and just from a historical perspective. And there's always, you know, interesting little fun facts to to throw around about it. But you know, it it just it's not out there. It's not easily accessible. And uh, luckily, I've got a, a couple of guys that I work with on the site that uh, are just are huge history nuts, and they they're going into the microfiche and they're they're finding stuff left and right. And uh, and some of the things that we found have been talking to people. You know, you talk to a somebody from, uh, you know, the German-Hungarians, and he's like, oh, you know, who you should talk to, you should talk to so-and-so and give him a call, and, you know, he, I don't know, lifted the first 1914 trophy or something, you know, and, and it just kind of goes from there. Now, uh, I wanted to bring up what Gary Smith of the Colorado Rapids had to say about the tournament, and he, he said it was, in so many words, it was badly run. The U.S. doesn't have a grasp of what a co- competition should be run like it doesn't have a, a blind draw. A lot, lot of lot of criticisms, and I wanted to know what your take on that was. I think anybody who follows the Open Cup or anybody who has a a, a an interest in seeing it it grow as a as an event, probably, you know, probably either ranging from standing up and cheering when he said that. To at least you know green agreeing and saying you know preaching to the choir there, so uh, it it's uh, I don't know it, it's tough because there's you know where do you start you know do you do you start throwing money into it and hoping that it sticks and hoping that it makes money for you uh, you know maybe but I find somebody with this economy to do that. Um, you know, the the fact that the blind draw doesn't happen, you know, that comes down to money, too. That comes down to travel. You know, what if the Kitsap Pumas, you know, draw Miami FC? You know, like, what, what happens then? So I, I think the way that they have it now is, I hate I hate to say it, you know, because it, it, it is a bit flawed. Um, it, it's about as good as they can get with what they're trying to accomplish by trying to run a tournament on a pretty tight budget and to try to limit travel and try to make it yeah, as friendly to the, the fixture congestion that they already have. So I, I think it's, it's okay for now. I think what, what they would have been nice to have, to have done this year is uh, release 
that where the MLS teams were going to play right away. So that, you know, if it's all regional anyway, it's pretty obvious that the winner of the Ocean City Barons and Real Maryland are going to play D.C. United. You know, that seems to be a foregone conclusion. So then you could get office pools together and then put it together and, and you know, maybe uh, draw up a little bit of support that way. We're talking with Josh Hackler of USOpenCup.com. Josh, are we going to see a USL team win this tournament more often than just in a blue moon, do you think? Are we getting to that point? I think we are because I, I, I think that, and it depends on, on how things work out, if they're going to keep doing qualification. So if they're getting, they're only giving MLS eight teams to, to go all the way. If they're giving them an equal number of teams, I, I, I think that it, it's really, uh, numbers wise, it's gotta, it's gotta come out with, uh, with USL getting through one of these. I mean, they've gotten the last two, the last two years. I think last year was their, their closest one, obviously getting to the final, but having two teams in the, in the semifinals was, uh, was a bit of a coup. So it, I think it's gotta happen eventually. There's, I mean, if it happened in 1999, I mean, it could certainly uh, it could certainly happen now. Josh Hackler from USOpenCup.com. Many thanks. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Josh. Topic four. Okay, now a really fun topic. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of American soccer? Now, if you paid attention in American history class, you know George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt are the four presidents on Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills of South Dakota. They represented the first 150 years of American history. Now, if they did it today, Teddy might not make the cut. At the time, in 1924, Calvin Coolidge was president, and he insisted on two Republicans and a Democrat, along with George Washington, and you know Lincoln was going to be one, so it may have come down to Teddy or maybe Ulysses S. Grant or somebody, don't know. If they did it today, FDR might be that fourth guy. We don't know. The point is, America was about 150 years old at the time, and while they've played soccer here for more than 100 years, American soccer as we know it doesn't have nearly as much history from which to draw our four potential heads. All that said, our list could change in the future, but it's fun. We thought tonight to just throw it out there. We'll each do one at a time, and Dan and I have not compared lists beforehand, so this will be even doubly fun. Dan, you go first. Your first head on the Mount Rushmore of American soccer. Uh, Mia Hamm. I agonized over it, but I went with the most recognizable. I didn't go with the best women's player because that's Michelle Akers, but Mia Hamm brought – more people to this game probably than, well, a couple other people that I have on Mount Rushmore. She is just such an icon, such a legend, that, that if you, you have to have her in this category. I had I, I did the exact same thought process as you. I wasn't going to do her straight away. But, yeah, I thought the same thing, that, yes, there are better players, but as far as influential players, I think she has to be on that list as well. My first head is Billy Gonsalves, and if you don't know who Billy Gonsalves is, check out SoccerHall.org or Google Billy Gonsalves if you can spell it. I, I use him to represent all that came before, and for the people who think that for some reason that American soccer history began when Paul Caligiuri scored in, in Port of Spain, played for the Fall River Marksmen, among other teams, back in the 20s and the 30s, played on two American World Cup teams, won eight U.S. Open Cups with his club teams, was a great goal scorer, was known as the Babe Ruth of American soccer. If you know anything about Babe Ruth, that's a lot to live up to, but I put Billy Gonzalez was my first head on the Mount Rushmore of American soccer. All right, you're back to you, Dan. I had uh, Gonzalez as my last choice, and I nearly did not put him on because my initial thought was to go with famous people, but I ended up having to agree with you on Gonzalez, not only for what he accomplished, and he was legendary. I, If you have not heard of him, learn. Even more than someone like uh, Joe Gachins or Burt Patton 
all the people. This is this is the guy you start to learn about, and then you rediscover what our history actually has. You said we didn't have a hundred years of history. We're pretty close to a hundred years of history, and I think Unsolved is, is the best representative for that. But like I said, I nearly put someone else on there that would have been a little bit more famous. He was he was my number four choice, to be honest. Give me another. One. Uh, number two. And this one I'm going to take some stick for, but I picked Pele. Uh, and certainly not because he played more than three seasons for the uh, for a United States League. Again, even uh, with Mia, she brought in so many fans. She was the face of soccer. Pele reignited the game in the United States. A lot of what we are today is because of Pele. I don't see how you get around that. Even though he only won, I think he only won the one trophy for uh, for the Cosmos. It's just his ambassadorial prowess, what he meant to this game, is such a league light. It's, it's just made, it's the sun that made all the other light possible. Well, this is going to be boring, Dan, because I had Pele as well. <laughs> we agree three out of four. This is hysterical. This is why no program director in his right mind would put you and me together because we agree on too much. Okay, so here's my here's my fourth one. It's actually my second pick, uh, and, and we'll see if there's any disagreement here. I went back and forth a little bit, and then I decided, no, it's obviously got to be this guy, Lamar Hunt. I think Lamar Hunt oh, uh, in excellent. Oh. In a couple of yeah. different ways, uh, not only in the you know in the NASL, I think it bridges two generations. Uh, obviously, very instrumental in in the NASL, very instrumental in the startup and through the lean years of MLS when it looked like they didn't know this thing was going to work. Uh, the U.S. Open Cup bears his name now, and God rest his soul, uh, Lamar Hunt I think belongs on. You know, and he might be the guy. He could potentially be on the Mount Rushmore of American soccer as well as American football. Yeah, that's uh, that, boy. You made such a good point. You may have changed my mind, but and I try not to arbitrarily leave people off because they didn't play. Uh, one of the people I thought of along those lines was Alan Rothenberg, right? Which again, and now we're starting to get in the lines of oh, you really want, well, who brought the World Cup to the the other thing that relaunched um, relaunched the the sport in this country. We've had several relaunches for those of us who aren't American. This this sport is, it didn't just come off the ground in 1994. A lot of people spent a lot of years trying to get it rolling, and we're just standing not so much on the shoulders of giants, but on the shoulders of a whole lot of midgets. So we agree on Mia Hamm, Pele, Billy Gonzalez. I, I did not have Lamar Hunt, although I I my fourth is blank because he is still active, but we can start carving the receding hairline. I think you have to have the all-time national team scorer, uh, unless, he, unless he pulls an OJ and, or, or a Barry Bonds or something. Right now, you have to make space for Landon Donovan. You know, I think he'll get an honorary degree from Arizona State before he'll get his head on Mount Rushmore of American soccer, but I can see your point. Here's where I went back. I, I thought somebody should uh, potentially represent the U.S. national team, and then I looked and I was trying to say, well, who's it going to be? I mean, Kobe Jones is the all-time Caps leader. No, not really Kobe. Not I don't think of him in that way. Um, you know, we can't put Waldo up there. His head is already life-size. We, we can't do that. 
Eric, uh, Eric, Lawless, we love you. Uh, right now, Alexi Wallace's reputation is at an all-time low because people think of him as a general manager. And people, if they think of his club career, they think of the Revolution or the Metro Stars, and they don't necessarily remember how good he was in the 90s. There are a number of guys that in the 90s and late 80s who probably take away votes from each other. Paul Caligiuri, we may not have had a World Cup in 94 if Caligiuri doesn't make that goal. But do you put a guy on Mount Rushmore because of one goal and a very good but not utterly astounding national team crew. I felt I had to pick a modern player, and I think Landon Donovan... I never saw Gonzalez. I never saw Pat Dode. I think Landon is the best player we have produced. He is the first guy off Mount Rushmore if one of our guys down the 10, 20, 30, 50 years ends up winning a World Cup for us. But right now, number four, I still think it's Landon. Here's another guy I can I considered in the kind of builder category, but Lamar beat him out, and that's Phil Anschutz. But I don't think Phil would sit for the sketches or whatever you'd have to do before you could do the carving. <laughs> that's a very good – and this is another thing where you sort of – for a Mount Rushmore, you have to wait until the whole career is over, and that's uh, – that, that's something where, what if Phil Anschutz wakes up tomorrow and says, you know what, I'm sick of this, <laughs> and pulls the plug on MLS, and you've, you've got a Mount Rushmore up there with his head on it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's also the problem with Landon. What if he goes to South Africa next year and get, gets red carder, like, or just pulls a Jeff Agus or, or worse, God knows what. Or gets framed for stealing jewelry or something. Well, that's a Bobby Moore reference. It is a Bobby Moore, but Bobby Moore would go on the England Mount. Well, Bobby Moore is yeah. innocent. I yeah, think that's Landon true. Actually, have to do it. And here's another one that I considered, and this one is kind of uh, kind of out of left field a little bit, maybe, and maybe people wouldn't have considered this. Jerry Yeagley. Oh yes, I I should not have ignored college soccer completely out of hand, but I did. That was my – now that you've said him, no, I still don't put him up there. But absolutely, you consider him. No, I, I think he deserves a statue, if not at least his, if not his head on Mount Rushmore. Anyway, it's just an interesting little thing to kick around. Send us yours. Let us know you know, what you think, uh, who you think would be considered for, for uh, American soccer's Mount Rushmore. Dan and I agreed on Billy Gonzalez, Pele, and Mia Hamm. I had Lamar Hunt, and he has Landon Donovan. All you people listening out there, send us your emails. We do appreciate them. What's the email address? The email address is podcast at ken.com. Send us your thoughts, your likes, your dislikes, your suggestions. Tell us who will be on your Mount Rushmore of American soccer, and we'll read your emails next week. Again, that's podcast at ken, K-E-N-N, dot com. Okay, once again, time for the lightning round. 30 seconds on the clock, please. First answer that comes to your mind. Dan, are you ready? Yeah, well, here we go. Dave Checkets gave Jason Christ a vote of confidence this week, so when will he be fired? Jeez, what time is it now? Who will be the next coach of the New York Red Bulls and when? Richie Williams, and what time is it now? Were there more people at your high school graduation or at Pizza Hut Park last Sunday afternoon? I went to a big high school. I really, so, yeah, my graduation. Lastly, best description of Miss California, Carrie Perjean or David Beckham's state of mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Well, that's all we have time for. Can't tell mash, everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Glad you enjoyed that. Any final thoughts, Dan? I, I, I did very, very much enjoy it, yes. Many thanks to Josh Hackle of USOpenCup.com and to Rob Penner of Women's Professional Soccer. Next week, Andrew Bell joins us to talk about USL1. Thanks to all of you for listening. Tell a friend about us if you would. We'll be back next week. Until then, for Dan Loney, I'm Ken Tomash, and this has been Forward the Back. Well, there it is, a match that had everything and one that certainly lived up to its promise. It's only a pity that somebody usually has to lose. But there's always another day, another great match to be drawn, lost or won, when we'll join you again.